0: Well, tonight, you guys, did you see the um, title of my sermon is Unmet Expectations, which is really a watered-down fancy term for disappointment with God, but I didn't want to list it, name it like that, so I said Unmet Expectations, just to make it a little bit more palatable. You know, I, took, um, I told you I took Emma out to um, Reading. Chris went with me. We drove through to Las Vegas, which is hotter than blazes, And then he stayed with his step, or his daughter, my stepdaughter. And then I took Emma, and we drove up the Sierras, I guess, up to Reno, and then across the mountains into um, Redding. And I was thinking how much fun I had. She's 20 years old now, not quite old enough to have an adult cocktail. But she's out of her teens, so I can say I don't have any teenagers left anymore. I know, right? It's kind of awesome. But the one thing that I was thinking about when I was kind of preparing this was, you know, this message that I'm going to talk about is not for um it's it's a it's a message for mature believers it's a message to bring us to maturity and there's something about having a mature relationship that's completely different than having a parent-child relationship and when em and i were driving you know we get to have deeper conversations now that she's 20 years old when someone's five years old or six years old you're talking to them about pokemon and you know the toys they're playing with or what they want for Christmas or whatever you're talking about childish things when you've got little kids like that but when you have a 20 year old all of a sudden you get to talk about adult things you get to talk about hopes and dreams you get to talk about um, what she's going to learn at school and and the things that God is doing in her life and you get to have a relationship with an adult that's completely different than a relationship you have with a child and I think that what God wants from us we are his children and he's happy to have us as his children but he doesn't want us to stay as children because he wants to relate to us as adults he wants to share the deeper things of his heart in the kingdom with adult people because adult people can be trusted to do things with that can be trusted in ways you can't trust children because children aren't mature enough right and so this message that i want to bring to you tonight Is something that's going to help bring us to maturity okay because it's not an easy message it's about being disappointed with the Lord who here has ever had an unmet expectation either with a person or with the Lord and every single one of you should raise your hands right because if you're a human being you've been for sure disappointed by people for sure and if you've been a Christian for sure you've been disappointed in the Lord if not you're just lying okay because you have been So, I want to talk about what um, unmet expectations are. That's kind of a a catchphrase in the marriage class community. We always talk about unmet expectations. You know, a lot of marriage um, gurus will say that the things that people in marriages fight about are things like sex or communication or money. But really, all those things, hi Stephanie, all those things are really unmet expectations about those three things. They're symptoms of a deeper issue. An expectation is defined by my favorite dictionary, the Google, says an expectation is a strong, that's from my mother, by the way. An expectation is a strong belief that something will happen or be the case in the future. So we can define an unmet expectation as an unfulfilled belief or action. We want something to happen, we expect it to happen, and it doesn't that's an unmet expectation <clears throat> does any I know a family and maybe you know a family like this too have you ever been in a family where there's what I call an unspoken book of rules and of you know what I'm talking about where there's an unspoken book of rules that someone has written and it's real thick and full of a bunch of rules and they don't share any of those rules with you but they expect you to follow them. Anybody have any? I know a family like that. That's no fun to live in. That's the epitome of a breeding ground for unmet expectations. Because not only do you have expectations, you don't communicate them to anybody. But then you're real mad if they don't live up to them. You know what a perfect dysfunctional cocktail is for this kind of thing? Someone has an unwritten book of rules. You can't fulfill those rules. And they give you the silent treatment for three days that's the most dysfunctional cocktail you can have for unmet expectations that there is and I think you know where do our expectations where does the unwritten book of expectations come from anyway do you guys know oh good thank you Bob so one of them would be your how you were raised maybe your family history or Wounds maybe that you acquired in life, right? Maybe you um, had some deep wounds or your, your parents didn't parent very well or they were a bad role model. Those are some expectations that maybe could be passed down, okay? Other ones could be from our own personality. How many of us here think, and all UD people can raise your hand and agree with me, how many people believe that if everyone did things the way I did them, the world would run great? raise your hand raise your hand all you D people yes we all believe yes <laughs> we all believe if people did things our way and saw things through our lens we'd all get along and the world would run great that's one source of unmet expectations you know um, maybe I expect you know Chris and I experiences sometimes when we're having you know what I call intense fellowship which means you know not not agreeing conflict um doesn't happen very often thank you darling but I will want to talk about it right away and he might need to process it for a day he might go on we say he goes on to his island and I just I just circle that island waiting for him to come off I just circle that island when are you going to get off that island when you get off that island we need to talk we need to talk we need to talk but that's the we both do things differently and it's hard sometimes when you have different personalities to put your expectations aside and say wait a minute Let me see what's really going on here. Is my expectation valid? So that's one way that our personalities can influence our expectations. The other way was our family. The third one is spiritual beliefs that we hold. You know, sometimes our um, family of origin informs our spiritual beliefs or our worldview, I should say. Our worldview, the way we see the world, which includes spiritual beliefs but not always. Sometimes we reject our family of origin or we mature out of it or we come a different way. And we have ideas about, you know, the big ones, politics, religion, the way you should raise your kids, the roles of men and women. Those are all the really big button pushers, right? And those can really get in the way of us having good relationships with the people around us because we have unmet we have expectations that maybe don't correlate with somebody else, and we have conflict about it because you didn't meet my expectation. So this is really just a warm up. I'm just kind of showing you how we have unmet expectations in our natural lives, so to speak. And this is just to say, if we have unmet expectations Like this we're also probably going to have unmet expectations with the Lord because of those three things because of our personality because of the family we grew up with our our distorted family generational things and our worldview does our worldview line up with who God says he is are we walking in the same worldview as the Lord because if not, we're going to have unmet expectations. And that's kind of what I want to explore tonight, is how do we deal with our disappointments and our unmet expe- expectations with God? Because let me tell you, we have them, but also people in the Bible have them. Jesus, believe it or not, had unmet expectations. Or we can say disappointments. Or we can, we can say questions. I mean, if you remember when he was on the cross, he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Gethsemane, and he says, Lord, if you can, take this cup away from me. Not my will, but yours. But if you can, take this cup away from me. And yet he still was obedient to the cross. But what did he say when he was on the cross? What was some of the last words that he said when he was on the cross? Why have you abandoned me? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Do you hear in those words some emotion some where are you God I didn't know it was gonna work out this way and, and I'm not really sure what you're doing do you hear that maybe in that phrase at all so if Jesus had questions about what God was doing we get to have questions too we can have questions too but we can also look for the answers to those questions and we can wrestle through them with the Lord to say God what are you doing in this situation that maybe I can't see or Lord what do I need to look at in my own life that's somehow getting in the way of what you want to do and that's what I want to explore tonight all right I want to look at the life of John the Baptist okay So, if you remember the story of John the Baptist, he was a miracle baby. He was conceived when his parents were really, really old. His um, father was serving, and an angel in the temple, and a, the angel came to him and said, "You're going to have a son in your old age." And his father said, "What are you talking about? I'm way too old for that. My wife is way too old for that." And the angel said, "And now you'll be silent." A <laughs> child is born. And so John was born under those very supernatural circumstances and this is what the Bible says about John the Baptist during the high priesthood of Annias Annas and Caiaphas the Word of God came to John son of Zechariah in the wilderness he went into all the country around the Jordan preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins as it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low, and crooked roads shall become straight and rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe, here's, here's classic John the Baptist. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that has not produced good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. What does that sound like to you? A little bit of fire and brimstone to me. Does that sound like fire and brimstone to you? it goes on to say, he says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear the threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. Now, I just want to tell you something, you guys. When he's talking about the fork and the fire, that's not the fire of the Holy Spirit. That's the fire of judgment that he's talking about. That's not the good fire. That's the bad fire. All right? He, John was a prophet who said, you need to repent. He was the, this is an interesting point. John was the highest prophet of the Old Testament. Do you understand that? He was of the Old Covenant. John the Baptist was the highest order of prophet in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. He lived in an Old Covenant reality. And what he saw was we need to repent or punishment is going to happen. You know, um, and my mom's probably going to hear this on the podcast, but I'm going to say it anyway. When I was a little girl, and this is how my mom was raised, bless her heart. When I was a little girl, Um, I used to go to my mom's house for like Thanksgiving or my my grandpa's house where my mom used to live for Thanksgiving and and holidays and stuff like that he lived in um, Hillsdale Michigan and where Hillsdale College is if you ever heard of it and we would go there and he would get a flannel board out you know those old flannel boards they had at church a flannel board and he'd have little people and he'd have the flames of hell On the flannel board, and the people would be dancing on the flames of hell, and this was his his evangelistic tool. This was what he used to share the gospel. Was the flannel board hell picture with the little people dancing on it? And when so, when people, I went, I was talking to Lindy, and we always laugh about this because Lindy is really big into um, fire of God and the Holy Spirit and stuff like that. And so she had, she had a picture of some kind of fiery thing in her office, and. I looked at that one day and I said, oh, why do you have the picture of hell inside your office? She goes, that's not hell. She goes, that's the fire of God. I'm like, oh, I only associate fire with hell because of my flannel board experience when I was like 10 years old. And you know what? That's how my mom grew up. That was not good for her. That's not good for anybody. But that's what my mom grew up with is a John the Baptist kind of mentality, if you will. So here's John the Baptist. He's, he's a fiery man. He was, he was designated before he was born as a man who was going to call out and prepare the way for Jesus. He had a destiny on him to, to call the people to repentance and prepare a way for Jesus. And so he was crazy. Like he was out in the desert, what was it, camel hair, camel hair belt, eating locusts, which are grasshoppers, you guys. And honey long hair probably all matted and like twisted like they do with the dreads and stuff like that right and he lived out in the desert and that's where he did his ministry and people would come to see him and he would baptize them in the jordan river for the repentance of sin so along comes jesus and he sees jesus and jesus comes to him and he's like whoa wait a minute you're the one you're the one I'm not worthy to untie your sandals why are you coming to me you should be baptizing me why am I baptizing you so he had a recognition that this was Jesus right and Jesus like nope we need to do it this way this is the fulfillment of everything you need to baptize me Jesus is baptized by John and immediately we see the heavens open and God descends the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus and there's a supernatural moment right there where John recognizes Jesus. And he says, oh, my gosh, I am not, I'm not worthy. You should be baptizing me. Yet, down the road, you guys, what happens to John the Baptist? Pardon me? Yes. What happens is he speaks up. because Now, remember, John, John is the highest of the Old Testament prophets. What do Old Testament prophets do? They call out sin. They call out sin. And they stand and say, you're in sin. Repent. You're in sin. you know, John's going to live up to that moniker. He's going to live up to that. And he calls out Herod, and he says, you should not be taking your brother's wife as your wife. That is not right. You should not be doing that. And promptly, John was put in jail. And now John is in jail. And he's waiting to see if he's going to live or die. And and so what does he do? Now, remember, John has baptized Jesus. He's seen the dove come down. And John, who's sitting in prison, is all of a sudden saying, is this who I thought he was? Is he who I thought he was? Or is he somebody different? And he sends his disciples to Jesus, and he says, are you the Messiah, or should we look for somebody else? Now, do you hear in his voice, are you who I thought you were? are you doing what I thought you would do? Are you really the Messiah? He witnessed Jesus. He recognized Jesus. And yes, he still doubted him. And what did Jesus say? Here's the the, um, really interesting reply that Jesus said to his disciples. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You guys, that was a direct reflection of when he was in, and, and in the um, temple and opened the scrolls and read from the book of Isaiah. Do you remember that? He said, um, yes, Isaiah 61. This is a direct reflection. He's reminding John that he is the Messiah but here's the thing you guys he's not the Messiah John was looking for he's not the Messiah John thought was gonna come first of all his personality he thought wait a minute I thought you'd be more like me where's your fork and where's your fire Jesus didn't mention a fork or a fire he didn't mention any kind of punishment at all he said I am I'm restoring sight I'm healing the lame I'm doing all these things of restoration I'm not bringing fire and I'm not bringing a fork and so John's personality got in the way he's like well that's the way I see the world I don't get it while you're not doing it that way secondly his culture was getting in the way because the Messiah remember was not supposed to in their culture come as a suffering servant or a lowly child but as a conquering king everybody in that culture thought when the Messiah comes we'll be set free no longer under the chains of the Romans no longer are we gonna be just oppressed we're gonna rise up and take our rightful role in the world that's who our Messiah is gonna be did Jesus talk about a throne did he talk about anything like that no that's not the kind of kingdom he came to establish those did not fit John's expectations or really the Pharisees expectations at all right And thirdly, John's worldview got in the way. His worldview got in the way, you guys. He was an Old Testament prophet. And what he didn't understand, but we understand because we look back on it, he was the man, he was the Paddan, handing it to Jesus saying, say, and now I get to usher in and I get to see the new covenant come to life. Jesus brought us the new covenant. A completely different covenant than what John was used to living in John was used to living in an old covenant that emphasized the law and punishment the law and punishment if you didn't repent you received X Y or Z that was the Old Testament but now the new covenant is being birthed the new covenant is coming we have to with John shift our paradigm to be a new covenant paradigm if we're not living in a new covenant paradigm and that you guys is the key to disappointment with God John was disappointed with God because he had not yet made the leap to the new covenant and he didn't understand why there was no fork and there was no fire and Jesus that's not that's not what I'm here to do that's not what I'm here to do today that may be down the road but today that's not what I'm here to do And you need to line up with what I'm doing. Now, after his um, messenger, or after John's disciples had returned and gone, gone back to John, Jesus turned to the people remaining. And this is what he said. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. Jesus esteemed John. The kingdom was born and built. On his shoulders born and built on his shoulders and yet everyone in the kingdom would be greater than him because they had a new covenant reality and they weren't living in an old covenant reality what is an old covenant reality let's just go there okay an old covenant reality I think can be summed up in a couple different ways One of them is a formula mentality. If I do good, if I do X, then Y will happen. If I do good, then I will be blessed. If I do bad, then I will be punished. That is an Old Covenant reality. It's a formula. It's a works reality, Okay. You can tell for sure if you've been raised in an Old Covenant family system if there's more negativity criticism and judgment in your family than out in the world you'll know you've been raised in an old covenant mentality here's the thing you guys if we're gonna grow and become mature as Christians because here's we want to relate to God as an adult not as a child we want the deeper things of the Lord we want him to whisper his secrets to us because he can trust our maturity because we can go to the deep places with Him, we're going to have to put off the things of the Old Covenant and take up the things of the New Covenant because that's where God's at. God's not in the Old Covenant. He's not living back here in the Old Covenant. He's moved on from the Old Covenant. See, the covenants look at them like two chapters of one book. All right? Here's your whole book. The whole book's been written from the beginning to the end, the whole book's been written. The first half is about the old covenant. And it's about God saying, I'm going to redeem you. I make a promise to you. I'm going to redeem this situation. You wait and see how I turn it out for you. I'm going to give you covenant after covenant after covenant that's going to point to a fulfilling covenant yet to come. That's the old covenant. The new covenant is is the chapters that say, and here's the fulfillment, and here's the fulfillment, and look how it's been fulfilled here, and look how it's been fulfilled here. This is the chapter of the book that God is working in today and that we're in today. If we want to be friends of God, if we want to be mature, we got to move from the old covenant, the old chapters, into the new chapters. we got to get with the program, all right? What happens is we forget sometimes or we don't know or we don't recognize that we're stuck back here in the old covenant we're stuck back in a punishment mentality anybody here in a punishment mentality nobody yes no used to be I think almost all of us are stuck in a punishment mentality to be honest with you I think there's very few Christians who have successfully entered the promised land of the new covenant and stayed there what happens is is we make forays into the new testament and then we slip back and then we make forays and we we go over here and we believe god for all these things and then we slip back into shame into guilt into blame into judgment into criticisms and then we'll slip back over here and we go back we waffle back and forth between the two covenants and if we're going to figure out What we're supposed to do and where we're supposed to go, we've got to plant our feet firmly in this new land, in the land of the new covenant. Do you follow me? Do you believe me? Yes or no? Mostly you believe me? What happens, because here's what happens. When we choose the new covenant, When we partner with God, when we say, I'm going to be friends to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to be a, we're going to walk in friendship, we're going to do this together, there is an exchange that happens. We always talk about the great exchange, right? There is an exchange that happens. When we say, you know what, I purpose to walk in the new covenant reality, we exchange our disappointments and our doubts and our unmet expectations of God for something called faith thank you, Bob. Bob knows what I'm going to say. You exchange when you make a decision. You know, Chris and I run across all kinds of people. We have this group on Tuesday night, and we have different friends that are in and out of churches or maybe believers or maybe they're not believers or or they're not sure, and they're in perpetual disappointment with God. They're perpetually disappointed with what God has not done in their lives. God has not given them money. God has not healed them God is not whatever give them a better job God is perpetually disappointing them and what I want to say, I can't give them what they need what they need is faith what they need is to make a decision this is God I choose to partner with God and therefore I take on all the benefits of faith let me tell you what faith can do for you guys this is what faith does Faith says, I can trust him to know the beginning from the end when I don't understand the middle parts. Because you know what? He wrote the beginning. He wrote the end. The whole book's been written. We don't need to worry about the end. It's already been written. So now why do we have to worry about the middle parts? We may not understand the middle parts, but we know the end. We get to have faith in the end result. I get to trust and believe that I'm going to see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. In the land of the living I'm gonna see the goodness of the Lord that's what faith says to us faith says goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life faith says favor is the filter that I'm gonna look at all my battles through every single battle I look at is gonna go through the filter of faith because that's what I choose to believe because my expectations now are anchored in a new covenant reality not in an old covenant reality Faith says he began a he who began a work in me will be faithful to complete it Even if I don't know what that work is even if I don't know how he's gonna complete it God says he's gonna complete it Faith says all things work for good for those that love the Lord are called according to his purposes all things the bad things too All things work together. That's what faith says Here's the problem though you guys and this is where I think about my friend. I always talk about my friend. Chris knows who I'm talking about. God doesn't do things according to our agenda. He does things according to his agenda. Because he's the Alpha and Omega. We're not the Alpha and Omega. That's another part of the New Testament and the New Covenant reality, is that we're in a new kingdom, and we have to obey the king in the new kingdom and do things his way. And that means we've got to take the self out of our own agenda, a lot of times our unmet expectations and our disappointments of the Lord come from the fact that we want, thing, our things, we want things our way right now. I don't want to have to suffer this. I don't want to have to suffer that. I want you to deliver me today, right now, and I don't want to have to hurt at all. But here's the thing. God doesn't do things according to our agenda. He does things according to his agenda. And that's a truth we've got to get a hold of, especially in this day of I don't say we do name it and claim it anymore, but the idea that Christians don't have to suffer, guess what? Sometimes they have to be perfected in suffering. Sometimes they do. Jesus was was perfected in suffering. He was perfected in suffering. How do you you wrap your mind around that? That's in the New Testament. We have to understand that. That's part of our our disappointment with God. We have to realign to the new covenant. The other thing is you guys have to make make up your mind is what you're going to do with disappointments. Because here's the thing. God uses our greatest disappointments with him to build up our faith the devil uses our greatest disappointments with God to tear down our faith so we have a choice to make how are we going to operate when disappointments come our way see this is a message for mature people not for the not for the babies right and we're all going to go to maturity so we have a decision When disappointment comes our way, when life doesn't turn out the way we want it to turn out, how are we going to grapple with it? How are we going to let it turn us to God instead of tear us away from God? That's a choice that we get to make. We can either go deeper with the Lord in our disappointments, or we can fall away. But I'm telling you right now, if you are concerned about any kind of joy in this life, you want to go further with the Lord. Even if you don't know what it looks like, and I think that's the scary thing for all of us. I don't know about you, but I'm scared about the unknown. Sometimes I'm scared about the future. I don't know what the future holds. It's scary to me, but I would rather have faith in God, that He knows what He's doing from the end to the beginning, than let the devil steal me away, steal it away and give me anxiety about that. Am I right? No matter what, the best thing for me is to choose God every single day of the week. Every single day of the week, I'm going to choose God, even when I don't understand what He's doing. And I'm going to encourage you to do the same thing. I'm going to encourage you to use your disappointments to push you to God and to wrestle with Him with what He's doing, but to have faith that what He's doing is for your good and for the kingdom. He's always about the kingdom, you guys. He's building up the kingdom. But the cool thing is, you're never left out of the kingdom. You're part of the kingdom. Every single one of you is part of the kingdom. And you're an an important integral part of it, and he doesn't want to leave you behind. He wants to partner with you. So don't ever think you're not important because you are important. But he's, he's doing a lot of things at one time. Bob always says God is the ultimate multitasker. He's working on you and you and you and you and you all at the same time. And we don't see all the moving pieces, but we get to have faith that he knows what he's doing. So part of your disappointment with the Lord is saying, I don't know what you're doing, but I have faith. That you are a good God because here's what the enemy is going to try to do the number one thing the enemy wants to do is to trick you that God is not good that he's an old that you're stuck in the old covenant and you always will be and you're not good enough and oh by the way God's out to punish you God's out to punish you that's the lie of the enemy and I'm here to tell you if you're going to walk in any kind of victory in this world any kind of destiny in this world you're going to get in the New Testament in the New Covenant you're going to stay in the new covenant, and you're going to turn your face, faith, face to God, and you're going to say, I have faith in what you're doing, even when I cannot see it, even when I don't know it. I want to wrap up with this really cool, um I want you to all stand, because I'm on fire right now. This is, this is Ephesians 3, 16 through 22. This is a fantastic thing to end with. It's like a benediction. I pray, this is Paul. to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that has worked within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all the generations forever and ever. Amen. Isn't that the best prayer? That is the end of my sermon, you guys.